Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We are going to be continuing uh, the road to Calvary today uh, in the book of Mark, and we're looking at the, the crucifixion next week, and today we're going to be looking at kind of the final hours of Jesus' life before he is crucified. Um, the passage is very long today, and um, we're not going to be going through all of it. Uh, we will go through all of it in the sermon, but we're not going to read all of it right now. Instead, we're going to be reading at the end of Mark chapter 14, verses 66 through 72. So if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And you can follow along on the screen or their house Bibles. Um, hear the word of the Lord. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, invite our lead pastor, Billy Glosson, to come up this morning as he shares this word with us. I'm going to pray for him and for us as we uh, head into this difficult but important part of God's word. Let's pray. God, I um, I can't help but see myself when I when I read this passage. Um, when I see Peter who walked with you and and ate with you and, and laughed with you and cried with you, to see him in your moment of need and and to deny you, it, even even as you said he would, um, it hurts. It reminds me of my my own weaknesses, my own sin. And Lord, it's it's good to remember the good news. We know what happens next, and we know what that means for us, right now and throughout eternity. But in this moment, I pray that you would soften our hearts to be challenged in the ways that they need to be challenged. Um, Let us see our own denial of you, yes, but also let us see your mercy and your grace as we continue throughout this this story. I pray for Billy as he speaks this morning. Give him wisdom, give him clarity to say what needs to be said. Soften our hearts where they need to be softened. I pray that we would hear the gospel and hear the hope in these words this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. So recently, um, I was having lunch with some friends of mine who are uh, also pastors, and they were sharing all kinds of different stories of God's faithfulness, his kindness. But there was one story in particular that really set with me. Pastor, uh, a friend of mine, shared a story about a response he had to one of his sermons. He said that he was kind of talking about the idea that the the best way that we can really uh, combat sin and secret shame 
is to confess it, right? To just kind of shout it from the rooftops, to not live under the oppressive uh, hiding that we always do, trying to get away from our sin, that we can let Christ forgive us and make us new. Now, he told that in his sermon, and one person in particular was haunted by this. She felt the conviction of the Spirit to come clean. Her and her husband had both kind of newly plugged into this church. The gospel was really beginning to do work in their life and their marriage. But for her, though, there was always this kind of ominous reality that there was a secret betrayal in her life. Um, A few years prior, she had committed adultery. Um, Now, the relationship had ended, right? She put a stop to it, but the guilt and shame was still there. She never really confessed it. She never really came clean. And so she hears this sermon, she goes home, she goes to the bathroom, she looks at herself in the mirror, she's sobbing, and she's like, I gotta do it. I gotta confess it. There was a lot there, right? She worries, what is this gonna mean for her family? What's this gonna mean for her marriage? But she knew she had to get ahead of it. So she went out, and she told him. She told her husband. Now, this, it wasn't a moment without pain. It wasn't without hard moments. But her husband responded with grace upon grace, and God used this confession in a powerful way in their marriage and in their family. And as, as my friends shared this story, I was just dumbfounded by that, the audacity, the courage to speak, to confess. Now, today, we are going to see a failure that we know about because it was confessed to us. You see, Peter is going to (laughs) really miss the mark. But we know about this story because Peter tells us. There's there's no one else there, right? There's no, it's not like there's other disciples sitting around, like, recording. This is just Peter having this moment. But he doesn't hide this moment. He tells us this story. And today we're going to see really kind of three different characters interact with Jesus. We're going to start with the religious elite, then we'll move to Peter, and finally the Roman official Pilate. And we're going to see Jesus as he endures a gross mishandling of justice. And here's what I want to put before you. Jesus endured all of this, this horrible injustice, this denial from one of his closest friends, gruesome beatings. He endured all of it for you. Here's what I want to ask. Who do you say Jesus is? And what does that mean for your life? Who do you say Jesus is and what does that mean for your life? This is a night of denial for Jesus and it starts with a trial. So let's look at the passage. We'll look back to verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? 
But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Now, Mark is going to kind of sandwich here a story between two others, right? It's gonna, we're going to see the denial of Peter between this trial and then the sentencing. The first thing we see again is Jesus is taken to uh, the high priest's palace in the middle of the night for a trial, right? It's not really a trial, it's a joke. It's a kangaroo court of the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. And they start by trying to seek out witnesses against Jesus, but it all goes poorly. They strike out because these false witnesses, they can't even get their story straight. They, they, they don't agree with each other. Some accused him of saying he would destroy the temple and rebuild the temple in three days. And, and Jesus had some, said something kind of like this, but he was speaking metaphorically of his body and of his resurrection. And so it's no wonder their testimonies don't work out. They don't agree. And what they're doing is they're hoping, let's try and catch Jesus on a technicality. Because destruction of a, of a worship place is a capital offense. But the problem is, Scripture requires at least two witnesses for a conviction, and they can't even get that. No problem, right? Because this tribunal doesn't care, because Jesus is already guilty. There's no finding him innocent. Now, there's a lot happening here, right? It's the middle of the night. We have to keep that in mind. Right? There's, no, there's no texting. There's no Twitter. It's not like this was broadcast to the world. This was a setup to catch Jesus. Now, if we look at Jewish law, the Mishnah said, a Sanhedrin which as often as once in seven years condemns a man to death is a slaughterhouse. Right? It, w- it was not something that they did frequently to put a man to death. But nevertheless, on this night, they don't care. They don't care about what the religious laws are. They don't care what the culture says. This guy needs to go. And so the trial is going poorly. It's not going as planned. The case is unraveling. It's headed for disaster. And that's when the high priest Caiaphas rises and begins to interrogate Jesus. Any kind of idea of like some judicial impartiality, it's gone. It flies out the window. He asks Jesus to respond to the charges of the false witness. But Jesus remains silent, makes no answer. Once more, again, we're reminded of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. No doubt... The room is full of frustration. The high priest is getting angry. And so he goes up to Jesus and he asks him, and we learn from the gospel of Matthew that he puts Jesus under oath. And he says, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now that that, that word blessed one or blessed one, it's a title for God. It's what we see in 2 Samuel. Numerous times, right, throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus asked those who followed him, 
and those whom he healed to be silent, right? When he cast out demons, and they're like, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, the Blessed One. He made them be silent. But now, the time for this messianic secret has come to an end. Jesus, he's called under a divine oath to bear witness to his true identity, and he directly and openly looks in the high priest's eyes and says, I am. What he does is he identifies the Messiah with Daniel's son of man. He says, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is taking Old Testament scripture and tying it together. Daniel 7, Psalm 110, and he's identifying himself as the Messiah, as God's son. And what he's saying to them is, today I stand before you, but there is coming a day when you will stand before me in judgment. A great reversal is coming. Jesus' words do not land well. It sets the high priest off in an uproar, right? He, He gets just this self-righteous indignation. He tears his robe. It's time to put this guy to death. As far as they're concerned, Jesus just condemned himself with his own words. And so the high priest rules that he's guilty of blasphemy, which is a capital offense. He says, we don't need any other witnesses. He just said it himself. And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And then things move from unjust, man, to just shameful. They began to spit on him. It's just as insulting today as it was then, right? I promise you, if someone spits on you, you will be mad, right? And then they covered Jesus' face. They blindfold him, right, for further mockery and abuse. They begin to punch him in the face, saying, Prophesy, who hit you? If you're really the Son of God, you know all things. Who hit you? And then the temple police join in the party. And they beat him. And they slap him. They were accusing Jesus of blasphemy. Now, someone that night was committing blasphemy. Because, see, someone had to be right. And someone had to be wrong. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he's not. How would you answer that question? All of us need to make a choice. You see, Scripture is clear that one day we will see, we will bend a knee, and we will do it either willingly now in worship or later in submission and terror. You see, Jesus endured this for you. If you were put on trial, right, could you say that you've always lived perfectly? You've never hurt anyone? Never sinned against anyone? Jesus could. Because he was innocent. But he faced the penalty for our sins. And it's hard to put into words the severity of this miscarriage of justice. And it will get much worse. Because the scene now pans down to the courtyard where we see second, the denial. Verse 66, and as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know 
nor understand what you mean. And he got up and went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystander, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Now, if you remember last week, we, we pointed out that as Jesus is arrested, the disciples all scattered. But, but at some point, right, we, we, we saw earlier in, in verse 53 that Peter gets some moxie, right? He, he's going to jump in and he's going to follow after and see what's going on. He's going to kind of observe what's happening. The problem is Peter, who Jesus calls the rock, he begins to crack. Peter is said to be in the courtyard below, and as he's sitting there and kind of witnessing this scene that's going on above him, a servant girl notices Peter and says, you, you look familiar. Weren't you, with, weren't you with the Nazarene, Jesus? Now, given Peter's earlier promise of fidelity, right, I'll go with you to the end, I, I'll die with you, Jesus, you would think that like, Peter's going to step up and be like, yep, that's my boy, we're, we're tight. But we... <laughs> And more importantly, Jesus, are sadly disappointed. Because Peter blatantly rejects her accusation. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even understand you. Like, What are you even saying? And to avoid further scrutiny, Peter moves out into the entryway. And a rooster crows. Apparently, that rooster crowing has no impact on Peter. He's too busy claiming ignorance. He's trying to go undetected. The rock is beginning to crack. The servant girl is persistent. She's unrelenting in her pursuit, often like our God is. And she, along with others, began to say, wait a minute, Th this man, he's one of them. Here's what Peter learns, and this is important for us. Peter gets up, right? Tries to move. A change in place is no substitute for a change of heart. Like Peter, maybe you're thinking, you know, if I just move over here, if I could just run away from this, it'll get better. No, friend. Like a guilty conscience, the servant girl accuses Peter a second time. And Peter's now on the, on the spot. He's in the hot seat. In front of others. Here's his chance. Okay, you messed up. Now you can step up. You can regain your courage. You can take a stand for Jesus. You had expressed undying loyalty for him. But again, he denies it. Actually, the tense of the verb that he used means that he, he denies that he ever knew Jesus or that he belongs to Jesus. It's not a one-time slip of the tongue. The fracture in the rock is growing. Peter had failed the Lord three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now, again, he fails him three times in the courtyard of the high priest. Initially, right, he failed him by sleeping when he should have been praying, but now he fails him by denying him when he should have confessed him. Peter, the rock, crumbles, is pulverized under the pressure. 
because the bystanders, they're all paying attention now, right? It's like when you're from the south and you try to go up north and you're like, no, nah, man, it ain't me. I, I lived in New York my whole life. That's what's happening with Peter, right? He can't hide who he is. They're like, well, you, you, you can't. You're a Galilean. We can tell by your accent. You're not fooling anyone. That's all Peter could take. He puts himself under a divine curse. He, he basically says, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. I don't know this man that you're talking about. Peter won't even say his name. Distancing himself even further. Verse 72, immediately, right? The rooster crowed. Peter then remembered that Jesus had predicted his denial. In fact, the other gospels say that at that moment, Jesus looks up and locks, or Peter looks up and locks eyes with Jesus. And it breaks him. He's overwhelmed by this betrayal, this cowardice. He begins to weep. When Jesus turns and looks at Peter, I, I love the way Sinclair Ferguson says it. He says this. He says, that look was to be his salvation. For in those eyes was not condemnation, but compassion. That was the turning point in his life. Now in this most painful and memorable of ways, Peter saw himself as he really was. He repented and was remade into the great apostle. You see, often we think when we're caught in shame, when we're caught in guilt, that if we turn and look to Jesus, we're going to see condemnation. You messed up. You failed. We always, when we look to the eyes of Jesus, we see compassion. That reminds us, I'm enduring this for you, that I could call you mine. A daughter, a son. Peter would repent. Right? He would turn to Christ for forgiveness. He would receive a full pardon. Though his sin is great, he would discover that God's grace is even greater. What about you this morning? What great sin lies hidden? What is it that needs to be brought out into the light? Again, Jesus looks to you, not with eyes of condemnation, but of compassion. See, Jesus endured this misjustice so that you would never have to face condemnation. Will you come to him? Unfortunately, Jesus' suffering doesn't end here. He goes lower still. And we see now the sentencing. We move to chapter 15. <sighs> and as soon as it was the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus. And they led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called 
Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Now the Sanhedrin has to move quickly, right? they got to get Jesus' case before Pilate, because if they want him to be executed, they've got to do it now before Sabbath. Now Pilate was the Roman uh, procurator. He was the uh, imperial uh, magistrate. He was the governor of Judea. Pilate was a harsh governor. He was cruel. He despised the Jews, and he loved to antagonize them. He doesn't care about their religious laws. He doesn't care that Jesus supposedly committed blasphemy. But he does care that he calls himself a king. And Pilate is an expedient ruler. He's gladly going to make compromises to keep the peace and to stay in the good graces of Rome. And so Jesus' fate is now in his hands. There's only one accusation, again, that concerns Pilate. So we just ask Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this title obviously has some very political overtones for both Pilate and Rome. And Pilate, like the high priest, is accurate, right? But he's ignorant in his confession of Christ. But Jesus responds with this kind of cryptic fashion where he says, uh, you have said so. And, and what this means is it's not really a denial or, or a direct affirmation. Jesus is kind of saying something like, yes, I'm a king, but not the kind of king you're thinking. Right? In John 18, we see that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. At this point, the chief priests start bringing up all kinds of things. Right? We learn again from the other Gospels that they, they say that he's subverting the nation, he's opposing taxes to Caesar, he, he's calling himself a king. And so Pilate turns to Jesus and says, do you, do you have nothing to say to all these charges? And to his amazement, Jesus remains silent. Now, we know again from the other Gospels that, that Pilate tries to hand this off. He sends him over to Herod Antipas, and Jesus, again, remains silent. He's not going to say anything to the evil murderer of John the Baptist. He's not going to toss his pearls before pigs. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. But he doesn't open his mouth. He's brought back. And he is silent before his accusers. And these sinful men can only watch in amazement. There's no defense, not a word. He will see to it that he goes to the cross. <laughs> and then we get this amazing, beautiful picture that I think we're so familiar with that we might just miss it. Coram Deo, don't miss this. Barabbas was a man who was guilty of murder and insurrection. At Passover, Pilate was in the habit of releasing a prisoner. 
a condemned man to gain the support and goodwill of the people. And what we see is we see Barabbas for Jesus. We see the true son of the father, sinless and innocent. He's going to be beaten and crucified. But the other son of the father, which is what Barabbas means, who is sinful, who is guilty, he's going to be set free because Jesus is going to become his substitute. The sovereign providence and plan of God, it's not, it could not be more clearly on display. This man was awaiting his execution. And Pilate sees this as a way out of a tough situation. He had already told the, the Jewish leaders, I don't, I don't see any grounds right for execution. I don't see any grounds to charge him. We learned from the other Gospels that his wife had been having dreams about this Jesus, and so he's like, i got to get rid of this guy. Hey, do you guys want him back? I'll release this prisoner for you. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? That's not what happens. The crowd's incited. They want blood. The crowd's stirred up, and they say, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Pilate then asks what he should do with Jesus. They start shouting, crucify him. And even when he tries to plead with them, why? What has he done wrong? They just shout louder, crucify him. Some people try to paint Pilate like he's a, you know, he's in a hard situation. Pilate just is indifferent. He publicly washes his hands. Not my problem. Take him away. Jesus is innocent. But he's declared to be guilty. Barabbas was guilty. But he was treated as though he were innocent. And Jesus dies in his place. And he's also died in our place. That in an amazing reversal, you and I might truly become sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. And without knowing it, the religious leaders and Pilate and Barabbas, they're all part of a tapestry of grace that God is weaving for sinners. Their actions spoke louder than their words, louder than the cries of the crowds for Jesus' blood. You see, Jesus is not dying for his own crimes, but for the crimes of others. Not for his own sins, but the sins of others. He did not die for himself. He died for us. Have you ever seen what they were too blind to notice? Finally, we, we come to the end of our passage. Verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. That's 600 men. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. In, in the Gospels, record of, of the passion of Jesus Christ, the emphasis doesn't fall on the physical suffering of Jesus, as great as it was. 
Right. Mocking is clearly highlighted, but the focus is much more on the spiritual and psychological and agony that Jesus is going through. Still, you and I would be negligent if we passed over too quickly the scourging and the physical abuse that Jesus suffers, right? It says simply in verse 15 that he was handed over to be flogged. Here's what history tells us about floggings. See, a Roman scourging was terrifying. This is what we read. The delinquent was stripped, bound to a post or a pillar, or sometimes simply thrown to the ground, and was beaten by a number of guards until his flesh hung in bleeding shreds. The, the instrument that, that they used, the, the, this whip, was a, a scourge consisting of leather that had several pieces of bone and lead kind of forming a chain. There was no maximum number of strokes prescribed by Roman law. In fact, a lot of men died from the flogging. The historian Josephus writes about one of his friends. He says this. <clears throat> Albinus had been scourged so badly that his bones were visible. His entrails falling out. So Jesus is beaten to the point of no recognition. Horrible punishment. And he's mocked. They clothe him in a purple cloak. They twist together a crown of thorns. They began to mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they hit him again and again with a stick. And they continue spitting on him, insulting him. They kneel down, they, they mockingly worship him. Usually they just took them and crucified them naked, but they clothed Jesus again. Which at first is like, oh, that's nice. But again, if you've ever had a wound and you put a garment on it, it begins to dry. So that when Jesus is finally crucified, they rip off the clothing, reopening all of the wounds. Jesus is completely alone, humiliated, naked, beaten nearly to death. Our Savior endured yet again ridicule, shame, and pain at the hands of sinful man, at the hands of those he had come to save. How low he has come. The Father sent his beloved Son to rescue and redeem a rebel race. Look at what they have done to our Lord. Look at what our sin has done to our Lord. And look, my friends, we never forget what God has done for us. Now again, we see three different folks here. Peter, Pilate, and the religious leaders. The religious leaders murdered, breathed murderous intention. They, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Pilate, but Pilate was indifferent. He didn't think Jesus was guilty, but he didn't care enough to risk any trouble stop it. But Peter, though filled with shame, filled with shame for his own failure, 
he repents. And we know that Peter is restored and goes on to teach and proclaim the news of the kingdom. So this morning I ask, where are you at with Jesus? We have gotten so comfortable, so busy. But the question is there. Who is Jesus? Are you frustrated, tired? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Are you indifferent? I don't really care. I'm too busy. I've got a lot going on. Or are you honest? I fail. I make mistakes. But I know he looks on me with compassion. He calls me his. In the moments of hardship and trials and the heavy days, do you look to him? If you're honest this morning, are there things that you know Jesus would be displeased with? Are there things that you need to repent of? Hidden, secret sin. Do you need to come to Jesus for comfort, for encouragement this morning? Again, he endured all of this for us. And we know they didn't stay in this place of torment that he endured the cross of shame so that he would taste the victory of resurrection. And that's what he offers to us. So this morning, wherever you're at, tired, broken, confused, frustrated, would you not listen to the lies of, con of condemnation from the enemy? Or would you hear the voice of compassion? Do you need to come to Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging that we often, Lord, we often live like Pilate. We're indifferent. We do whatever we can to move past the feelings of conviction so that we can be numb again. Lord, would we, like Peter, in our failures, look up to see the eyes of Jesus. Not looking on us, displeased, but looking on us with grace. God, would we not try to run like Peter, but would we run to you, not from you? Jesus, we need you. Life in this world is hard. And you are all too familiar with it. Please, God, call us back to you. May we long for you, trust in you, and lean on you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.